You are looking live from the Philadelphia Four Seasons total. Wait, no. Wrong press conference. Sorry. Hey, guys. It is the Bluminati podcast with your host, Nathan Bond, Seth Barnador, and Robert Steak. Excited to be here. A jam-packed episode. Lots to discuss. A heartbreaking loss. A couple of weddings. Whataburger. I mean, it's a jam-packed episode here, guys. Let's let's just jump right into it. Steeg, I believe you were at a wedding this weekend, right? Yes. How was it? Very Except Nate. Um, it was good. It was a uh, mom brain scrambled. No, it was good. It was up at the uh, the Omni up in up in Orlando. Um, quite the hotel. Uh, we got upgraded. Like you know, you know how sometimes people ask if like, there's an upgrade available. We got there a little early and they were like, oh, your room's not available, but we do have an upgraded room ready for you if you want to move to that free. And I was like, yeah, <laughs> who's going to turn that down? <laughs> I mean, I guess. And then they gave us uh, some free drink coupons that we took uh, took care of. Um, the Omni does not skimp on how expensive their drinks are. I, uh, I, got, a, I got a Bud Light and I got a White Claw for the lady. Um, and those were the two free. And then I got another one for both of us. Bud Light and White Claw was $21. Oh, my God. And I'm afraid to ask which one was more. <laughs> um, oh, my God. But, yeah, I didn't have to watch a single second of the USF game. Uh, it was great. Couldn't, couldn't, have to, couldn't complain about it at all. Food was good. Got to see all my friends again. Love weddings. This is what, wedding number eight this year? Um, I, this year, it's actually wedding number nine. Oh, Jesus. Uh, I'm slowly but surely turning into 27 dresses, but the guy version of it. How many have you been in? Two. That's not bad. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just, I'm friends with people, you know, I make, make friends with people and then they're like, Hey, come to my wedding. And I'm like, yeah, of course. Um, I got another one in, uh, two months. Oh, dear Lord, brother. (laughs) It's, it's the life I live. I just go to weddings and I watch USF football. It's, it couldn't, couldn't ask for anything more. (laughs) Do what, do you wear the same suit? Oh yeah. Peter. Uh, no. So I, I try to, I try to mix it up a little bit. Um, I wore the same, this is the first time I wore the same suit and back-to-back weddings because the last wedding that I was in, I was in. And so I was like, it's a really nice fitting suit. Wore it again. Nice. Had to. Seth, what about you? How was your weekend? I have no friends. I have children. So I just, you know, stayed home and watched football. <laughs> Not that. <laughs> Not a bad way to spend your weekend. Yeah. Good. Well, Nate, how was your wedding? Because, <laughs> not your wedding, but how was the wedding you went to? Uh, it was all right. You know, not too bad. Went uh, went up to Savannah on Thursday uh, with the missus. Um, dropped dropped Olivia off uh, with Samantha's aunt for the weekend, and uh, it was it was a nice little baby moon before the kid comes. Um, apparently, Christmas Day is the expected due date now. So we'll. Ooh. Super unfortunate. Merry Christmas. Yeah, really going to ruin my Christmas on that one. So we may have to induce early or something. But yeah, not too bad. Got a ticket in uh, Jacksonville, about three minutes away from the Whataburger that I've been waiting for for four years. Um, I was I was going seventy one and a fifty. I don't recommend doing that. Um, I was lucky enough uh, that the uh, motorcycle cop, who Smith and I both turned to each other and we're like, oh man, he is just gonna fuck us man like we are so screwed motorcycle cop 
no way he's a nice guy. Turns out, pretty nice guy. Gave us a, instead of a 21 over, he, he marked it a six over. So that was nice. Um, yeah, still still a nice little ticket. And I think you get like three points. I don't know. It's my first ticket ever. So, you know, I started driving when I was 18. So one ticket every 11 years, I think I'll be all right. I just got to chill. But the, the Whataburger was wholly, wholly just disappointing. It was like I ate a salt sandwich. Just awful way to start start the trip. Frankly, no. getting a ticket and then and then uh, getting a, just a terrible Whataburger experience in, in Jacksonville. Um, but you know we we fight on. Uh, went to Savannah, got there. Beautiful city. I hadn't been there uh, since I was like ten, and I hated I hated Savannah. Like anytime anyone would ever bring Savannah, I'm like, oh nope, sucks. Yeah, been there, sucks. Went to the bowling alley. Yeah, it sucked. That's all I did in Savannah. But it was really nice. We stayed at the DeSoto, which is like right in the heart of downtown. Plenty of places to walk to. Really nice place. Great food. I had we went to the Grove on Thursday night. Walk there. Huge mistake. A little just a smidge further uh, than a pregnant woman should probably walk at 32 weeks. But hey, you live and you learn, right? <laughs> we had these uh Bacon wrapped shrimp with a uh, barbecue sauce drizzled on it. That was really nice. And some garlic mashed potatoes that were really good. Uh, great wedding uh, on Saturday. Brother and his fiance, now husband, is the, just a fantastic wedding all around. Um, just really nice. And my brother's very neurotic. And it rained on Saturday. So they had, they were going to have an outdoor rooftop wedding and they had to audible with like, maybe 20 minutes before the thing started to go inside. And uh, everyone, including my brother was very surprised at how well he handled the sudden change of events, but it it was great. You know, nothing, nothing crazy, you know, enjoyed ourselves had a, was, I think we were back at the hotel by like 11 o'clock. I had, you know, open bar had, you know, really, really indulged. So that was nice and got some, Got some McDonald's to wash it down and watch Saturday Night Live and went to sleep, hung out at the hotel, and then drove back on Sunday. Very what nice. A glorious weekend. Very nice weekend, man. It was much needed uh, break from everything, especially from the kid who's been driving us insane recently because it's gotten dark. It's gotten darker, so she can't really go outside as you know as much when I get off of work. So it was nice to just kind of get away from her for a little bit. I'll be honest. There you go. That's a that's a nice little nice little weekend for everyone. It seems like, yeah, not too bad. And and no one was available to live tweet this game, thankfully, or else <laughs> oh boy, man. was that going to be bad? Uh, guys, I mean, we got we got some tweets off between like you know people like passing through. Like I was getting ready and watching the game and like making sure I had everything ready because I I, uh, I rented a suit and wanted to make sure everything fit because for some reason with me like the suits fit fine in the store. And then when I take them home, it's like, just, just doesn't fit. It's very ill fitting. So I want to make sure everything was fit right. And uh, yeah, so that's why, that's why uh, we didn't have a, a recap of this game because well, frankly, we were a little bit busy and um, seeing as everyone on staff doesn't get paid money to cover USF. I think we're all right with not having a recap for this game. I think it's safe to say we probably would have gotten in a little bit more trouble with the immediate reaction takes. 
So I think it was good that we had some time to kind of simmer and, uh, you know, let the, let the anger and frustration melt away a little bit, but let's kind of jump into it, man. Oh, you blow a 13 point lead with under five minutes remaining in the game. That is that honest to God, no matter how bad you are, that is, that is tough to do. That is just brutal. Um, you know, you, 33-20, you finally get your field goal kicker situation sorted. Like, everything is clicking. And then, as Seth, you mentioned in the, in the Sunday takeaways, both scoring drives were, what, one a minute 17 and a minute 18? Yeah, one was – the first one was a minute 17, the second one was a minute 20. I mean, dear God. So, like, yeah, if you're going to – I said in the column, if you're going to make them earn it, like, you know, make them at least – That wasn't drive, it. Make them at least drive – Two minutes. Like it just, it was just like a perfect storm of, you know, you're gonna, you want to, you want to lay off, but then you let them score in less than ninety seconds. It's not gonna. That's the exact opposite of what you want. Right. And I, I, I think let's just kind of jump right into it. The fourth quarter. I think the fourth quarter start to meltdown for USF kind of happened on the drive that USF actually added to their lead when it made it uh, thirty to twenty. Uh, you're you're up ten. Excuse me, thirty-three to twenty. You're you're up ten with mm, four four forty left in the game. It's fourth and four. You had just gotten Noah Johnson had gotten sacked on second down. You were able to pick up fifteen yards with uh, Brian Batie gaining uh, a nice little chunk of change there on third down. So it's it's fourth and four. All right. What is the difference between being up ten if you go for it and miss? And being up thirteen, if you make the field goal, right? Well, you make it. You got to score two touchdowns. Two touchdowns beats you anyway, though, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, two touchdowns we make it. But if you kick a field goal, like they don't have to score the second touchdown, they can score. Or if you don't, if you miss it, they don't have to score a second touchdown. They can tie you with a field goal. So yeah, two touchdowns beat you either way. But a touchdown and then a field goal ties you and sends you to overtime. So that's that's probably the thought. Two scores, but two touchdowns, not instead of a touchdown and a field goal. I hear you. You know, hindsight being what it is, uh, Memphis scored touchdowns on three of their five possessions in the second half, right? So something clicked for them, you know, at halftime, really. They, they came right out, uh, quick three and out for the Bulls to start the third quarter, right? And then Memphis comes down, scores – it was a nice uh, – it was a 10-play, 59-yard drive. Touchdown. Or great. And then you're trading field goals. And if you look at the total yards and stats, it makes sense that Memphis won this game. If you're if you're just looking straight at the stats, I, I want to pull it up real quick. Memphis outgained USF by 205 yards. Uh, USF was 2 of 12 on third down. Memphis was 10 of 19. Memphis ran 21 more offensive plays. I mean, on and on and on. The, the biggest difference was the the interception, the, the interception returned by Daquan Evans skews the entire game in USF's favor up to a certain point, I guess we would call it 436 left in the fourth quarter. And, and I think, you know, it's a when you look at that and then also the fact that you made four field goals, but they were all over 40 yards. If you went in the game and I said, hey, they're going to attempt four 40-plus yard field goals, how many are they going to make? 
Almost, I don't think anybody would have said four. I would have said zero. It was, yeah, zero, one, two, maybe max. So to make four, you know, you maybe you're in a game at the end that you shouldn't even be in. Um, but those are the ones you want to try to steal and uh, unfortunately weren't able to. It, it really seemed to me like watching the first half, Memphis had guys open and Brady White was off. And then he got a little more comfortable. I don't know if that's maybe they started protecting better or, or you know, Yosef started playing a little bit different on defense. At the end, they did. But he got a little more comfortable and started hitting some tough throws. And even on those last two drives, he had some tough throws. Mm-hmm. They didn't. They they were they weren't rushing him, but they were they were making it a little bit difficult to find windows. And he hit some tough throws, and guys made tough contested catches. And sometimes you got to tip your hat. But I do think um, more aggressiveness is probably the way to go. And I think Jeff Scott was saying the same thing right after the game. He kind of said as much um, immediately after the game. One thing that caught my ear listening is that he said we can't let we can't let a quarterback like that have that much time. So I think he even realized, okay, we should have been more aggressive. And that could have been a situation where maybe he defers to his coordinator. Like, all right, I'm going to let you do it. If you want to play off, then let's do that. Or maybe he decided, you know what, let's make him, like he said, make him earn it. So let's play off. But I think he realized that, okay, we can't give a guy like that that much time. Unfortunately, it cost, it might've cost him the game. Um, but that's something I think he learned. So I think you have to, after hearing him talk, you have to feel a little bit better about, okay, maybe he's, he learned, okay, I gotta, I gotta keep the aggressiveness going. And it, I mean, uh, I'm looking at uh, this, the drive chart for Memphis uh, touchdown here, the, the first one to make it 33-27. Brady White completes uh, passes of 15 yards, 24, 11, 13. There's an incompletion. He gets sacked. And then they come back for a 10 yard touchdown. Like they were chunking them down the field and that you you can't let Brady white, who he may be the best quarterback outside of Shane Buchel in this conference. I, I it's, it's debatable. You can't let him just kind of chunk you down the field. And it felt like, uh, was it Cal Calvin Austin, I believe is the wide receiver who uh, torched him. Yeah. Calvin Austin, uh, five catches. Let me make sure I get the, the numbers right. Five catches, 102 yards, two touchdowns uh, on nine targets. And so he caught five of nine targets. I swear he was open on two or three of the targets that he didn't catch. Or they were just bad throws by Brady White. Yeah. In the first half, they had guys a few times when they had to set up for field goals, they got exactly what they wanted. And that was the, I think they figured out earlier that the, the, the way the USF corners were playing so aggressive, it was going to be easier to get your slots manned up with safeties mm-hmm. and they got guys open and they missed them. They had to set off for field goals early in the game. And then it started to kind of turn around in the second half. And that's when you saw them make that big comeback. It's it, man. It's just so frustrating because Jeff Scott has been so aggressive any chance he has. And it's a, you know, fourth and four there. I think they try to draw them offside and then there's like, all right, hold on. Let's just call a timeout, kick the field goal. But I, I don't know. I like I would. I think I would have felt better if maybe Brian Batie doesn't get that 15 yards to even make it a question. Like, all right, just putting it away. Still be up 10 and make them make them go earn it. You know, just a couple of questionable decisions. And you know, as you mentioned earlier about the the 40 yard field goals, I think USF has had five instances of 
kickers making four field goals in a game, no more than two of those five instances have been by with uh, more than two 40 yard or more field goals. Like it just, that just does not happen. You don't make 40 yard field goals that consistently in college. No. And especially at the distance, like, okay, one was 41 yards, but the other three were what 49, 47 and 46 yard field goals. Like you don't make that. You have had to made a 40 yard field goal in almost two years. And, and to, Over two uh, years. And, and, to, and to Schrader's credit, those things are going through the upper half of the goalposts. Those were yeah, he crushed them. Rocks. And I mean, he had he had the leg on Saturday, and you're still kicking it short. Just booted out of the end zone every time. You're giving this team short field after short field. It just just some of the very questionable decisions. Uh, you know, kind of all around late in that game that just really makes you scratch your head and wonder is. You know, I understand, you know, he's a first-year coach, but has Jeff Scott ever played Madden before? Has he played NCAA football in his life ever? And I, I will put it out into the open here. Coach Scott, ask us, and we will come play Madden and do just situational football with clocks, timeouts, and we will get it right. We'll play, play Madden. We'll play NCAA 14 if you want. I think Jamie has NCAA 13. So if you want to go back, have a year of BJ Daniels as quarterback, we can do that instead instead of Mike White, Stephen Bench, and whoever the other kid was. I can't even remember. Um, oh, Bobby Bobby Eveld, I think. Oh, Bobby Eveld. <laughs> I think Matt Foy too. I mean, so we we can we can do this. We can figure it out, but. Um, it's something that's going to need to be addressed here quickly. I know, again, this season doesn't really matter, but I don't, I'm not a fan of the two games that have been very, very close. He's kind of bungled it in the fourth quarter when the game's on the line. You know, we ad nauseum, we discussed the temple catastrophe. And what what is, what Seth, what's your overall opinion of how, you know, the last seven minutes of that fourth quarter transpired and what would you have done differently? Would you have done the same thing? How, how would you have handled that? Yeah, it's hard to say without knowing exactly, um, I don't know, being able to see everything. I don't think they handled it terribly. Um, I think what you, you know, what was so important, but on that last drive where they kicked, they ended up kicking, not the last drive, but the one they ended up kicking the field goal on, I think I was like tweeting about live tweeting the game. I think I said, if you can get one or two, if you get two first downs here, you basically salt the game away. I would maybe have been a little bit more aggressive trying to get that first down. Cause if you get a first down, it's over. Uh, they were already up two scores. So maybe a little bit more aggressive trying to throw the ball, get the first down. But that is, you know, that's the kind of, you're on a, on a, on a nice edge, right? Uh, I don't know if you guys watched the Florida game this weekend. Florida was up. 13, I think, on Georgia, and they were still throwing, trying to expand the lead. Quarterback steps up and about throws a pick six to a Georgia team that had done nothing for like three quarters. The guy steps in front of the ball, and if he catches it, he's off. Nobody's going to catch him. Now it's a six-point game, and your bubble's really puckered up. He dropped it. They're cool. But that's, you know, it's it's on the Razor's edge there in the game. It's not as easy kind of as it is kind of being a little bit uh, displaced from it, a little bit removed. Uh, but I, I think they probably would have tried to be a little more aggressive on defense. I think they could have possibly, if you don't, if you're a little bit afraid of, you know, running your corners ragged, which they said they were, 
um, and giving up a cheap one. You could still play, you know, two two guys over the top and play main underneath, and still play with that same structure and rush three guys. Um, they seem to just drop everybody off and try to keep everything in front of them. Uh, maybe that's something that I'd like to do, or maybe just be a little more aggressive because the sack they did get, you mentioned earlier, they got a sack on uh, the second and last drive. They went with a four-man line down in the red zone, and that's when they were able to generate some pressure. So maybe doing that or doing just, I think, a little bit more aggressiveness, but I don't think none of these decisions are egregious. It's just they don't work out for you. It's kind of like, uh, it's a little bit like blackjack at times where you just got to kind of make the best decision, best possible decision, and you, the odds still may not go. You still may not win the hand, but you played it correctly. So it's, it's, it's like that sometimes, but I think they would even say maybe a little bit more aggressive on defense, but you know, you, you understand what they're trying to do. I was about to say going off the game chart. I, I don't think Jeff Scott and company kind of realized. I mean, I'm sure they, they know that Memphis is an explosive team. They're capable of methodically getting down the field quickly and, and, and chopping things up like that. Memphis really didn't sustain many drives, many scoring drives um, the entire game. Um, obviously they had the long touchdown pass uh, in the first quarter. Um, and then in the third or excuse me, in the second quarter, and then the third quarter, their, um, their touchdown drive took about four and a half minutes and it was sort of chunk, uh, plays here and there, but not really, you know, going for the deep passes or anything like that. So, I mean, if, if you're looking at the game analytics of it and you're looking at it based off the, you know, going up essentially two scores with about a little bit more than four minutes left against a team that hadn't really produced much quick offense the entire day. I mean, you're kind of setting yourself up to win by kicking that field goal. Of course, once you realize they can score very quickly on that first drive, that's when you say, oh shit, let's let's get more aggressive on this offensive series we have. And if we don't produce enough, you know, first downs to steal the game, let's get aggressive on defense so we don't lose this. That's kind of where I'm I'm kind of coming from on this. Like I I I didn't feel disappointed by this loss. Obviously I'm I've been kind of numbed for this entire year. Sure, a win would have been absolutely great, but there was a lot of progress made by this team, uh, this game, and stuff that I think you can hang your hat on. No one really expected us. I mean, almost everyone from like Ryan or RJ Smith and all those guys saw the box score saying like 27 to 13 at halftime. And everyone's like, what the fuck's going on here? Like, you're seeing what this team is capable of doing. It's just now, can they find a consistent way to do it all four quarters instead of just chunking it all in the second quarter or even being consistent from game to game. And, and when, and, you know, learning to win and learning to finish is, is difficult. It's, it, you take some, it, you, you have some bumps along the way learning to finish. And right. We talked about, okay, the two close games they've had, they've lost. Well, they've only had two, uh, you know, you'd expect them to get better at it. Now this one turned out uh, that last, the, the temple game was kind of really one boiled down to one decision one play call that they'd like back. This one was over a longer period of time. Um, and I think what really kills you is when you give up. And this is the thing that I think it being a little more aggressive could have taken away some of those passes. I think like the first 15 yard pass play on their, on their initial uh, quick touchdown drives was just like a, a check down to the back and there was nobody close to him. And he was able to just turn up field for 15 yards and get a first down. Um, later on, they're a little more aggressive and they tackle that check down for like five yards. And now they got to jump up the line of scrimmage and try to run a play. And now the clock's ticking. And, but uh, I think stuff, those, and then when Brady White takes off and gets a first down and gets out of bounds on a first down run, 
those kind of things kill you on these kind of drives. You can't just give up 15 yard plays for, you got to make him like coach wanted to make him earn it with throws down the field into coverage. You can't just give him the dump off. So I think that's probably where they'd want to switch it up, but I can't say anything they've done has been egregious. Um, I would imagine they would do things differently though. Uh, next time around. I, I, I would hope so. I will say this was, uh, in our in our Slack channel, right before they they kicked that uh, that field goal to go up thirteen, this was uh, our our Slack response to uh, the timeout there and deciding not to go for it. I went all caps and said "go for it" with uh, I think five exclamation points. Ryan goes absolutely go for it, no brainer. Andrew says yeah, it's two scores either way. A fake field goal would be interesting. Uh, Senator Giggity goes fake it. And then when USF kicks the field goal, Ryan goes, boo. And that, again, I will personally come play Madden. And just, we, you got to get reps, right? You've only had these two in-game situations where you're the guy making a call. Let's rep it. Let's rep it virtually. And we'll go from there. It, it just, that, that was just super frustrating and it, well, you don't have much to go on on a head coach, and it's the you. You're trying. You don't want to make a judgment this year, but of the things that you're seeing, it's a little questionable right now. I think I think that's crazy. It's, really? Yes, that's nuts. It's it's like it's two games, and it's not like the Temple one. It's like a it's a play call. If the play call was different, we'd probably all feel different. We wouldn't care that he called a timeout. And then this one, it's just you're, you're in a game you shouldn't even be in, which I think, where's the credit for that? You're in a game without your best player. Johnny Ford did not play. You're in a game with a team that's much better than you by every metric, and you're leading. You end up losing, but there's no credit for that. It's only, you know, I don't know about this guy. The last four minutes, they gave him two touchdowns. I mean, this is this is the same team that scored like 45 on, on UCF and, and beat them by one point as well. I, I think you're being too harsh if you think this is really something, you know, it could be a pattern, but I think it's too early to go towards that this is a pattern of – because they're two totally different situations too. Just because they're late in the game doesn't mean they're the same, right? But I, I do think that if this kind of thing continues, then yes, you should, it's a cause for alarm. But I wouldn't go there yet. I'd, I'd wait a little bit. Uh, and then, you know, they're talking today about, you know, getting, looking for low-maintenance guys. They're still trying to turn over some people on this roster. So there's a lot more going on. Um, but I think the fact that they played so hard and played so well um, for a majority of that game against a team that was an 18-point favorite and was getting like 90% of the bets as an 18-point favorite, I think we got to give them a little credit for that too. Well, right. as much as we can dink him for the end of the game, we got to give them credit for getting those guys ready to play and having a good plan. It just seemed the fortunate thing, it seemed like they abandoned the plan a little bit at the end, which I, which right. is frustrating. That exactly. And that I think, I think that may have come across, uh, you know, from us, uh, you know, post game is this was the perfect game plan. They got them ready to execute and then they just strayed away from it at the end. It, it, yeah, that's the frustrating part is you're doing, it looked, you're doing it. It, it looked, looked great. Yeah. You're really going to do it. And then you're like, why'd you stop yeah. doing the thing that was working? And right. And you, and, and the, the other frustrating part is you'd rather have them lose like that. Right. We talked about it in the preview, go balls to the wall, right. Let it all hang out, be aggressive. They were, 
And then to see him kind of pull back a little bit, it is frustrating. But I, I just, I think it's too early to be too concerned about it. I think, I think there's a little bit of hesitation and I know, I know this is going to be kind of directed towards Ryan um, and our Slack channel more than anything, but there is that kind of, you can sometimes get early indication of head coaches. A lot of the problems that Charlie strong had at USF um, you could see in game one against San Jose state. Yeah. Uh, and, it, and so I think there is that hesitation, but there's also those times where you can kind of look around the country and even look at our own backyard and say, year one isn't always going to be indication of what happens year two and year three. I, I kind of, I, I mentioned this after our Slack and I mentioned it on Twitter as well. I'd rather this all, I'd rather Jeff Scott bungle these games and, and look terrible and have all these losses happen year one. Right. When he has an absolutely depleted, I mean, like you were mentioning, we, there's no depth on this team right now. And, and there's not a lot of talent on the team, to be frank. I'd rather this be happening when he has absolutely nothing to work with. So he can say in year three or four, when you're actually competing in these games and you're actually potentially competing for a conference championship, he's going to say he, he might be up, you know, by 10 and fourth and four will come up against like temple or someone like that. And the similar situation be like, you know what? I've seen this before. I know what to do here because I've made the mistake in the past. I'd rather this happen now than later because we're seeing that happen with year three head coaches now. And that's when the fan bases get sick of their shit. I mean, I mean we're we, sick of Josh Heupel right now. Yeah. Do we all remember Clemson? Yeah. Right. Remember that? Oh yeah. And it happened in a while. When Dabo first started up there, they had some stuff like this where they'd lose close games. They'd do something strange at the end. Some guy would blow it. And it was, it became a term Clemsoning. Oh, what, what Clemson, how did Clemson lose the game? Clemsoning, man, just Clemsoning. I, I, I think it's a little bit of that. It just takes time sometimes to get uh, the, everything headed in the right direction. But I think the, the toughest part about the loss, and you still get some of it with the, with how well you play for most of the game is this would have been an unbelievable culture building win, right? Because you say to your team, for whatever reason, we played without Johnny Ford and we won. We played with our best player and we won. Now, unfortunately, he lost. But you can still look, hey, we played with our best player. We scored 33 points and we took this team to the wire. And you could even say we should have won that game, right? You could, if you want to take blame on the locker room and say, hey, that's on me. We should have won that game. But we did it without our best player. And then, guys, so that's when, when, you, when you win without somebody, that's when they'll jump in line. Now, I don't even know why Johnny Ford was out. He could have just been, it could have been a tweaked ankle or whatever. But, you know, if it was out for you know, some other reason, hey, man, we can win without you. So fall in line or, or bounce. And that's a great way to, that's a good thing for the culture. Now, unfortunately, they didn't pull it out, but they still played well enough to where you can kind of point to that and say, look, hey, man, we can do it with any of you. Young guys will step up. If you don't want to, if you don't want to be here, we'll find somebody that will step up and make the play. So, um, unfortunately, you didn't get the win, but I think playing well enough is is going to help uh, in the culture setting as well. You, you, Coach Scott, kind of alluded to it today uh, in his press conference that they, I think they practiced like eighty kids today, um, which is not the number you're looking for, and it sounded like they're may have been some COVID issues because he was like, we found out on Friday that we we're going to be missing these guys. And it's Friday before you travel, you get, I think it's the PCR test. You get the, the rapid one. 
and then you're not playing and that's tough. And so these guys will probably miss this week. Don't quote me on this, but reading between the lines there, um, and Jeff Scott's, he's had a couple of, I wouldn't say slip ups, but he's, he's been honest with us, maybe not intentionally uh, about some of this stuff, but I think that that may be, uh, what, what kind of happened with Johnny Ford and a couple other guys. And in that running back room, you've got Brian Batie who, who stepped up. This kid, I mean, he's barely taller than Johnny Ford, if that. And 10 carries, 76 yards, looked great, explosive, was able to cut well. And then Leo Parker also coming in and stepping up and, and providing, you know, some some spark and the thing that jumped out to me that I wanted to make sure I, I mentioned uh, on, on the podcast was uh, Leo Parker. There's a, a, a play where Leo Parker's in on pass protection. The, the pocket collapses. He's still blocking and then he releases and turns around, shows his numbers and Noah found, finds him and Leo goes off for like 12 yards for a first down to keep the drive going. And it's those those little those subtle things that running backs need to be able to do to help everyone else on offense succeed. It, that, that was like a, Oh, okay. He, he's starting to pick it up. He's starting to pick up the position again. And, and I think we've, we're going to start to see something here. And it's the, those subtle things that may not translate and you may not see overtly, but it's something to really keep an eye on. It's like, okay, what is this guy doing when the pocket breaks down? Is he trying to help out his quarterback or is he just looking around like a lost puppy. And it, it was nice to see Leo Parker do that, show his numbers, get the ball, and make a, make a move downfield. Um, let's see. No Johnson. We, we said it. I, I said it in the game thread. We, we said it in the preview, in the podcast. If you're going to pick a guy, let him play the entire game. Look what happens. Noah, I believe, was uh, 20 of 29 for – for 217 yards, two touchdowns. But I think the most important thing is he didn't turn the ball over. And that was that's vital for him. He, he got benched against Tulsa for turning the ball over right before halftime, right? Uh, and then he threw a, a pick six later in the game. Protecting the ball is going to be vital for him, for every quarterback moving forward. He looked good. Uh, he found nine different receivers, caught a pass, uh, Latrell Williams, four for uh, 23. Kelly Joyner, three for 78. So if I'm doing the math here correctly, the running backs accounted for four catches for 90 yards and a score, which is, is great to see. But your your leading target getters were Amario Dawson, Latrell Williams, and we said last week on the podcast, do not let those guys off the field ever again. These are your guys. These are your building blocks. And this is what happens. The offense looked good. The one thing that's worrisome, I think it was you, Seth, that brought this up. The design runs are not there for Noah Johnson. Yeah, he, he did not look – and he did not look very fast against Memphis. Now, maybe it's just because Memphis has got some athleticism. But, yeah, the, the he's doing – I think he's picking up a lot of yards when he scrambles and can kind of make those kind of plays. But he's not picking up a ton on these design run plays. It's uh, – um, you know, I don't know. I'm not sure why. I just – we are just thinking about it today and I, or yesterday and I brought it up to, is anybody else can anybody else remember like a 10 yard run on a designed run. I can't remember one since Citadel. I don't think uh, he's had a couple of touchdowns, but they've been on short fields. So yeah, that, I just thought that's, you know, a bit odd. Um, you think he's so athletic. Um, 
but yeah, that hasn't really been there. But what he, what I thought he did a really good job of is he took the throws when they were there. Um, and this is something that Jordan McLeod had some problems with, um, just that willingness to pull the trigger sometimes. Now, some of these windows were a little bit bigger than the ones McLeod had gotten because, you know, they were against like Notre Dame and a couple of their tougher opponents. But still, when, when, I'm, when, when the offensive staff schemes up, that Kelly Joyner off the jet sweep going right down the middle of the field, you got to make that throw and you got to throw it. You can't wait. And if it gets tight, that's something you just got to pull the trigger on. And he did. That was a big touchdown play. Uh, we were out later to St. Felix. Same thing. They've had that throw for McLeod a few times and he just wouldn't pull the trigger on it because the window gets tight. No, Johnson pulled the trigger, made a good throw. And I think, you know, one thing I think it's common with a lot of his, with those throws that are down the field is they come off play action. Later in the game, it gets tougher for him, especially if they're behind because teams don't bite as, as much on play action and you don't really need to, you can't really run play action. So that makes it a little bit tougher on him. Uh, but I thought he played pretty well and did just about everything they asked him. At one point, I know he completed like nine or 10 straight passes. So kind of what you need from the quarterback position. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. And I, I was really impressed. He seemed in control. Like there, there was never a moment where you're like, okay, I think he may be, he may be losing the plot as they mm. say. Uh, and that was really nice to see uh, from him. First career start at the FBS level and showed, showed good enough poise. They, again, they didn't lose this game because of Noah Johnson. And I think that's, been the problem uh, for a lot of these games this year so far for the Bulls is the Bulls have lost because of quarterback play. And it was, it, again, had nothing to do with him this week. Uh, I thought he looked really, really good. Uh, glad to see it. Um, it, it overall, he finished uh, with negative six yards uh, rushing on 11 carries. I just remember one, uh, I think it was a QB power to the left, and he just got stonewalled for like negative four yards. And uh, I that that's the play that kind of jumped out to me when you asked about has there been any chunk design plays like Kate Fortin's big run against Tulsa was a designed run. And then he had another one. Uh, and it just, for some reason, Noah just hasn't broken out. And if you look at his tape from Alcorn state and the dude can run, like he, yeah. he he's fast enough to break away from people. It just, he's running away from like Arkansas defensive backs and right. a couple of those clips just running right by him. So, so. I assume it's a bound to happen. It just hasn't happened yet. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, I mean, I think it's pretty clear he's going to get the start here this week uh, at Houston. If he doesn't, then <laughs> I mean, who knows? It's totally related if he doesn't. Honest God, who knows what we're doing anymore. The other thing that we've kind of harped on over the last few weeks is sacks, right? It's been a huge issue. The Bulls came into the game with, I believe, three sacks on the season. They got two from uh, the defense this week, one from uh, Tramiel Logan, which uh, stopped the drive. Memphis was pinned back, and then they were pinned back further. It was, I believe, it was the drive right before USF scored the field goal to go up 13 uh, that Tramiel Logan came up, and his only tackle was for this for the sack. That's kind of what they want him to be as a true freshman. He's That's what he's going to be. He's going to become their pass rush specialist, it looks like. And then uh, – Kelvin Pinckney right before Brady White find, finds a receiver in the end zone on that first of two touchdown drives um, late in the game. He actually comes up with a sack. Good to see. Um, not Again, still only five tackles for loss, but 
hey, progress in some areas, uh, right? But yeah, still loss. Uh, we'll move on. You need to maintain a drive position. Right. So, so we're good. We'll figure it out. Um, as, as we mentioned at the top, USF was 2 of 12 on third down. Their average distance to go on third down was 9.8 yards. And it's like, wow, okay. You know, Memphis was 10 of 19. Uh, they must have been, you know, really, really short, you know, conversions. Uh, their average third down distance was nine yards. So <laughs> you're giving up, and it's not just giving up third downs, it's giving up the back-breaking third downs, right? Your nine, 10, 11 yard third down conversions, which are just absolutely brutal. USF was one of seven on third and long, so just nine or plus uh, yards. Memphis was three of seven. Memphis was 0 for 2 on third and goals. USF averaged 3.9 yards gained per third down attempt. Memphis averaged 15.1. I think this is this is a stat that may cry, that just may make everyone cry. Uh, third down passing for the Bulls, 3 of 7, 24 yards. Memphis, 13 of 15 for 270 yards. That's almost all of Brady White's completions. Yeah. Uh, yeah, man. You know what that kind of reminds me of in a really sick way is the World Series when the Dodgers kept on scoring on with two outs. Oh yeah, like that, that just that's just like the same thing. You're like, just get out of the inning, just get off this field, and then they're like, oh fuck it, <laughs> six right. yard gain. But on the USF offense side, I think that kind of goes to show what I was saying. Kind of might be Noah Johnson's little limitations is when he doesn't have the threat of play action, mm-hmm. it's a lot harder for him. When it's third and 10, nobody's buying play action, you're not running play action. So it's it's a little bit tough for him to fit stuff into tight windows. He's just not, doesn't have that super arm, but they did a good job on early downs using play action to get him open shots. But that is going to be a struggle, I think, with anybody they got back there that seems like this year. So there's, there's certain longs when they, when, when the other team knows you have to throw, can you make the throws. They haven't been able to do it all year. So I don't see it changing. Nope, I don't. Um, and one final kind of thought here as we wrap up the this Memphis game and move on to Houston. I looked it up. USF was on the on fourth down, fourth and four. We get it. They kicked the field goal. And I think you're I think Jeff Scott may have been even playing the percentages a little bit. Uh, USF had been eight of eleven up to that point from on field goals over, over the over the course of the seasons up to that point, and on fourth downs up to that point, USF was seven of twenty. So you're you're playing the percentages there where all right, this is almost even though it's you know, four, four, I think it was forty one yards, it seems like it's the better option because fourth down is just not been kind to you, and there you have it. it Again, another, another, maybe, okay, this is probably what Jeff Scott was thinking there, but we move on to Saturday, 3 PM Eastern standard time. The Bulls take on the Houston Cougars on ESPN plus ESPN plus baby. I don't mind it. I'll be honest. Like I really don't mind ESPN plus it's super easy to, to get to. I understand that it's like five 99, but with, Seth and I having kids with Steve just being a Disney file. I think that's what they call themselves. You just combine 
combine ESPN Plus, Disney Plus, and Hulu. It's like 12 bucks a month for three awesome platforms. So it's the entertainment I ever need. It's not too bad. <laughs> I will say, though, use the Daily Stampede link to sign up for ESPN Plus, and then you can bundle it later. Shout out. But here we are, Houston, two and three, uh, two and two in the American. Kind of kind of got throttled last week uh, at Cincinnati, uh, 38 to 10. Uh, Cincinnati, uh, despite Collins' protests, it, they are a good team. Much to Collins' chagrin. Much to Collins' chagrin. And, uh, I mean, between him getting retweeted by Rex Chapman and all of the Bearcat fans in his mentions over the weekend, oh, cesspool. I would have just lit my phone on fire. So, you know what the worst part about that is? When Cincinnati inevitably loses, he's going to come back to that tweet and be like, yeah. see, I told you so. You got to give me a better call impersonation than that. I, I can't. <laughs> <laughs> See, I told you so. Desmond Ritter is average. He's the worst quarterback in the American. Uh, he'd go, he's dog shit. That's what he, that's oh, he's bad. Dog shit. That's his, that's his go-to. Absolute malfeasance by Colin on that one. But again, back to Houston coming off back-to-back losses versus UCF and Cincinnati. Uh, they have beaten Navy and Tulane uh, this year. They did lose to BYU in the Mormon Manziel. So basically they've lost to three really talented quarterbacks. So it seems like Houston may have a problem on defense. Oh, I they, hated that. They do, in fact, have a problem on defense. They are, if you take out garbage time, the 97th ranked defense in yards per point. For reference, USF is 86th. Quick question. When did garbage time start against Notre Dame? Oh, like second quarter. Okay. No, I don't know. Like halftime probably. <laughs> Was it up 21? It's a sliding scale. I think in the first half, it's like you got to be up 30, 35, 40. Oh, okay. like then as you get later in the game, it's less points. Fair enough. But that doesn't include the Citadel game, so... Only FBS opponents. So here we are. Just a quick refresher of the the series history between uh, USF and the Cougars. Uh, Twenty eighteen, Houston won fifty seven to thirty six. Uh, Blue Adams tried to fight Khalid McGee on the sidelines. That was the highlight of that game. I was Got, there. You were there. I would. I remember it so fondly. Oh, we said you didn't you? Didn't we? Yeah. Oh man, I was How about, about twenty five maybe 25 yards away from blue Adams when that happened. Oh, that's neat. Um, and then I had shitty Whataburger after. So it's all coming full circle. Oh man. <laughs> Jesus. And you were even, you were in Texas and you still had shitty Whataburger. Yeah. It was bad. Oh. It was like I said I had Wi-Fi. Terrible. And then the, again, the year prior was uh, fourth and the Eric. We won't talk about that. USF hasn't beaten Houston since uh, they joined the AAC together in 2013. Uh, USF was uh, 2-0 and prior to that, 2001-2002. I would say the only game that was close was the 4th and the Eric game. Um, everything else with blowouts in 2013-2014. Um, yeah, so a, a lot of pain uh, in this Houston series over the last few years. Uh, just a lot of, oh my God, it's happening again. Uh, but new coaching staff, maybe again, uh, things turn around. But... Uh, Un- unlikely, I would I would say. Let's kind of dig in. Uh, Dana Holgerson, if you guys did not know, is the head coach of your Houston Cougars. Six and eleven. Uh, he's in his second year. 
the redshirt seasons for everyone didn't really pan out when the guy that he really needed decided to go to Miami as a grad transfer. He had a tackle leave too, I think. What his starting left tackle decided to bounce too. Ooh, hate that for him. Hate Tough. that for him. A little history there. Dana Holgerson and Glenn Spencer were on the same Oklahoma State staff in 2010 that went 11 and 2 together. They've got a really good wide receiver, Marquez Stevenson, who really up in the air if he's going to play. Um, he got hurt against UCF uh, on Halloween. Did not play in the Cincinnati game. Really hampered their offense because the dude is, uh, he's again, he's one of those AAC wide receivers that just kind of pop up in, in the, the vein of Zay Jones or Anthony Miller, Trey Quinn, Cortland Sutton. I mean, the list goes on. The AAC always has good wide receivers, and he's just another one in the long line of wide receivers um, to, to come across this conference. And Mike Hampton or KJCL, so they're going to have their hands full. Even if Marquez Stevenson uh, does not play, they've still got plenty of talent in the wide receiver room. The trigger man, if you will, is Clayton Toon, and he's been up and down, I, I think is, is a fair assessment. Eight touchdowns, five interceptions this year, completing over 60% of his passes. But it, you've got to be able to stop the passing game uh, of, of this Houston team. Uh, to have a, a good shot at it because their running game is pretty non-existent. Uh, to be fair, in that regard, I think they're averaging like 3.4 yards a carry. Yeah, 3.4 yards a carry. Um, Kyle Porter and Mobile Carr are their two uh, their two backs. Um, Clayton Toon does have 42 carries, but he's averaging 2.7 yards a carry. It's you got you got to stop those two. You got to got to be able to hone in on Clayton Toon and make make them beat you running the ball. I would, we'll see. We'll they are 97th in yards per carry. That's not great. That is not great. Um, the guy who, for some reason, te- per- uh, petrifies me is uh, Keith Corbin. I remember him from 2018. He was very good. He leads the team with 20 catches, uh, 266 yards. Their top four receivers are averaging over 13 yards a catch. Nathaniel Dell. Uh, and Mark West Stevenson are averaging over 16 yards a catch. They've, they've got some dudes, and if USF is down to their three corners and three safeties, of, as Jeff Scott mentioned, uh, they were uh, against Memphis. It could be a very long day for the Bulls here. Seth, I, I know you haven't really dug into it. Have you seen, you know, just in passing uh, over the season, anything that kind of sticks out into your mind about what Houston does offensively or defensively as we get into this game? Well, uh, I thought I've just seen, seen tune play a few times. I think up and down is definitely a good way to describe him. He does have some high highs. So he's, he's looks like he's got some talent and if they have their full complement of receivers, they can be really a really tough cover. Um, mm-hmm. So I, th- I think it's definitely that passing game that makes them go their defense. Just looking at the numbers for defenses, not particularly good at anything, it doesn't seem like. Um, they're 94th against the rush, giving up 4.83 yards a carry. And they're 102nd against the pass, giving an 8.8 yards an attempt passing. So, like you mentioned earlier, they played some pretty good quarterbacks, um, but their defense is bad. Um, this It's going to be, I think it might be similar to Memphis, but they're like a, like a public brand Memphis. 
They're they're uh, not great on defense. Throw the ball pretty good. Have some explosive players. Not run the ball well. So that I think that might be a decent way to look at it. like the Publix brand Memphis. Still pretty good, just not. And it's like you know Publix brand ketchup, I guess. Yeah, yeah. pretty good, but it's, it's close. Not, it's not Heinz ketchup. Yes, it's close, but it's not. Right. Something there's something something's off. Something's off. Uh, let's see. Uh, third downs. Uh, mem- uh, excuse me. Houston is at averaging up. They're converting a third forty two percent of of their third downs, and uh, the defensively they're allowing forty percent. That again, still two huge issues for USF. You mentioned two and twelve again against Memphis. Uh, Ten and nineteen defensively. It, that's again. It, it's been the money down for the last three years for the Bulls, and they have not been able to get off the field. I find it hard to to believe or or trust that you know this is this is going to be the game that gets it turned around for them. But I mean, we didn't, we just don't know until until the game's played, honestly. But that's that's going to be the key for the Bulls to keep Houston at that level. If they're completing forty two percent of their third downs, that's fine. The USF's got to pick it up offensively themselves uh, against a, a pretty pretty bad uh, defense. If there's they, any consolation to Houston's defense um, potentially still having some bad things, um, two of their top defensive linemen, uh, two of their starting defensive linemen, I should say, um, are questionable for this game as well. Uh, Peyton Turner, who has accounted for nine and a half tackles for loss, four sacks, and Donovan Mutant. Two tackles for loss, one mutant, um, mutant. one sack. Um, they're both two of their better defensive linemen. Both of them are questionable for this game as well. So you're kind of looking kind of favorable right now if injuries are you know upheld. Um, and if I mean, barring it's not COVID related for Johnny Ford or or some of these other guys, you might have a little bit of an advantage here just injury wise and. Um, you know, that doesn't even come into account the fact that, you know, this game might not even happen because of COVID, but who knows? And another, another big advantage is Houston is minus seven in turnover margin mm-hmm. this season, which is 115. Uh, USF, given the recent spate of turning the ball over, is still only at minus two on the season. So that just for comparison's sake, and USF's played, I think, two more games than Houston has. Houston's only played five games. Right. I was literally just looking at that, Seth. We're just simpatico in this regard. Right. Houston's well, defense is only only has three takeaways on the on the season, two interceptions and a fumble. The last two games, they've given the ball up four times. They had a five turnover catastrophe against Tulane uh, the the their opening weekend, and still somehow won. But man. You can get them. And I just want to look at the Houston's game notes are pretty fantastic. They have the uh, opening drives on offense and defense charted out. Houston has three points on their opening drives uh, in the first half. And then they have not scored since the BYU game uh, on their opening drive. And then they have not scored since the BYU game on their opening drive of the second half. So so you can basically mark it down now that they're going to score. Oh, for sure. They're opening drives for both halves. So you can just bank on seven points that opening drive, both, <laughs> both halves, just bank on it. Defensively, they've been a little suspect. Uh, they've given, they've given up 17 points on their five opening drives of the first half touchdown at Cincinnati field goal uh, versus UCF. 
and but they did force Tulane and Navy to punt. I believe those were both the wins. So there's that. Second half, they've only allowed three points uh, on opening drives defensively, but Navy and UCF both missed field goals on their opening drives. So we'll see what happens with that. Uh, Grant Stewart, uh, the linebacker, I think he may be one of their better guys. Leads the team in tackles with 41. As you mentioned, Peyton Turner with the nine and a half uh, tackles for loss. I think that maybe I think it's closing in on more than USF's entire season. Uh, like three of him equal what USF has in tackles for loss this year. That's not bad. He has half the amount of sacks that USF has by himself. No, he has he has one fewer sack than USF has as a team. He is our team. So that's that's uh, I, I, ideal. I think the, the keys to the game for USF, don't, t- t- don't turn the ball over. They think they turned it over 13 times this year. I think Memphis was the first clean game, if I'm not mistaken, in quite some time. And then, you, again, just be, be plus one or two in the turnover, turnover category. Seth, I, think, I mean, again, we, we harp on it week after week. I think we mentioned it in the preview. You've got to be able to steal a couple of possessions, especially when you're this bad of a team. Houston's still better. They're still better than USF, but you've got to be able to steal. They're not quite Memphis better, but they're still better. What's what's funny is Houston, like by the twenty four seven team talent composite, I think is the most talented team in the conference. They're a little bit above Cincinnati. They're fifty fourth, so they are they have talent on the team. They haven't played very well, and I think some of the redshirting stuff kind of backfires on you when you just give away a season. But yeah, you, this is not a team. This you still want to be plus in the turnover battle, turnovers, third downs explosive plays. If you win all three of those, you're going to win most of your games. That's, that's really what it comes down to for this Bulls team. It's uh, so that, you know, last week, I think they were, they did an okay job, right? They didn't turn the ball over. They, they created turnovers, which is huge for them. Uh, we're able to score off turnovers, which has been a, an issue for this team all season. I, granted that the defense was the one that took care of the scoring for them off the turnover, but they were able to do it, making sure that this team doesn't turn the ball over. You can't give better teams short field position. And that's been the issue all season. You saw against Memphis when they had, when they forced Memphis to drive, uh, you know, for the majority of the game, they were able to get stops. Short fields will be the death of you when you're not a good football team. Uh, so again, make the, make, Make Houston drive the ball. They can't run. They cannot run the ball. They cannot run the ball. They are horrific um, on the ground. Mobile car uh, two years ago, I think it was either 2017 or 2018, did like rack up like 140 yards against the Bulls on the ground. So he's a guy who, you know, may have a hot hand. It's like Jordan McLeod in Cincinnati. It's still pretty good. Uh, that kind of, that kind of thing that we just, some guys just have it against particular teams. He may have it again, something to, something to keep an eye out for. Uh, if Marquez Stevenson plays in this game, hopefully, you know, maybe hobbled, he's going to be an issue for this bull secondary who have still severely underperformed this year. And it's very unfortunate and a, a glaring weakness that we did not suspect to have this late in the year. Hopefully things can start to change and you find some, some things uh, here uh, going forward. I think that's kind of it 
you know, I think the, again, the key to the game, it's going to be third downs, turnovers, get something going in the passing game on third downs for, for these bulls. You can't go three or seven for 24 yards again uh, through the air on third down and continue to expect to win. Uh, you know, we're, we're annoyed that USF lost that game at Memphis, but in reality, they probably shouldn't have been in it by the numbers. I haven't looked at Bill Colony, Bill Colony, uh, Connolly's uh, win expectancy, but I'm sure it's not high. So you, you've got to improve on that, improve on being opportunistic. And that's what USF was for most of the game and, and hope Clayton Toon throws you some picks because he, he has the propensity to do that without further ado. I think it's time for some predictions here, folks. Let me get my handy-dandy notebook so I can write down how embarrassing these are. I'll go with Vito. He's not here. Let's see. Uh, so he he picks uh, Houston to win 31-24. Makes sense. He's more optimistic for a better result than he was last week. He does know that the last time Jeff Scott saw Dana Holgerson on the field, Clemson got mollywop by West Virginia in that 2012 Orange Bowl. I think the final score was 70, 70 to 33. <laughs> Yikes. This is all I can say. And, you know, Clemson did have Sammy Watkins, I believe. So that was, uh, that was nice. Yeah, man. Do you guys remember that game? I, remember, I just remember, like, in the second quarter, like, oh my God, what is happening? But, I was, uh, I was but a wee lad. God, I'm trying to, I'm, I'm blanking on the age. I was, don't tell holy us. shit, how old was I? So just don't. Yeah, I was young, uh, and I remember. <laughs> I, I remember watching it. I was with my. I was with some buddies, and we were watching it just like any other any other you know middle school kids were watching high football games. We were like, "Oh, West Virginia must be really good." And then we looked at like the rest of like their schedule and everything. We were like, "Oh, they play the Big East. They suck." Yep, pretty much. I think this was Pete Clemsoning. I think is that's a callback. If you guys don't know. Uh, it's a callback to an early part of this podcast. Seth, what do you got for me? What, what's your prediction here? Uh, I'm going to go uh, 35 to 20 in Houston's favor. 35-20 Houston. Yeah. Perfect. After the Temple game, uh, you know, Vita mentioned this in, in Slack. After the Temple game, there was a real big letdown because of how they lost. And I, I worry if that carries over again to how USF plays uh, with a close game and losing that the way that they did. I don't think Houston is that good offensively to embarrass USF like some other teams could right now after coming off a loss. Like Zach, like Clayton Toon is no Zach Smith, if we're being honest here. But at 30, 31 to 13, Houston is my guess that that's that seems to be I'm probably going to be dead wrong and so far wrong but yeah 31-13 Houston I feel okay about it Stieg what you got for me well I I stood over this one and I, I poured over it and obviously I think like you were mentioning before we were really I think at this point we're just looking for week over week consistency um have yet to have that played Decent against the Citadel, played like shit against Notre Dame, played all right against Cincinnati, played like shit, so forth and so forth. So now's the get right week. This is when you can kind of like put your foot down and say, all right, you know, we got some consistency at quarterback. We finally have something, you know, hopefully that's going to last for a little while. 
Um, defense played great for uh, 56 minutes. So that's something you can hang your hat on against a, a really, really good quarterback with Brady White. Uh, 70 to 33, USF beats Houston, the revenge game for Jeff Scott. He's going to call up uh, Dabo Sweeney at uh, the third quarter, uh, FaceTime him and let Dabo Sweeney call plays for the rest of the game just to have some fun with it, you know, uh, really spice it up for the kids. Other domination, uh, USF gets everything right, shocks the world. Okay, I think that last part's illegal. I th- think uh, the NCAA may step in here. Uh, but hey. They haven't said anything about a different team's coach. <laughs> Does that count as one of your teams? I don't, I don't, I don't. <laughs> There's no legislation against another team's coach coming on like, to communicate. I mean, it's like a, there was that one football league where like the fans could call the plays. Maybe they just do it that way. Like the, I think it was called like you call the play football or something like that. I think PJ Dan that back in that league. Like, why not? We need to bring that back just for our shitty fans who who think that our. Oh man, <laughs> could you imagine the fans in the stands calling the plays? I mean, Grant, like it'd be just four verts all the time. <laughs> They'd be calling like 10 yard out routes and like, you know, deep posts and everything like that. And poor Noah Johnson's just getting sacked on every single play. Cause he, he doesn't yeah. have three seconds to throw those. The USF fan base is so old. They're actually, you know what? You're going to line up under center. All right. You're going to, it's going to be eye formation. I want you dot in the eye. We're going to a lot of play action, a lot of seven step drops. And by the time Noah hits like step five, he's getting sacked. I think that's I think that's probably the, the best case scenario. Let's see some miscellaneous stuff. Uh, rumor has it Josh Berry is in the portal. Uh, confirmed. I guess I, I haven't really seen anything from him officially. I don't think the US USF officials have said anything, um, unless I missed it. He's still technically on the he's still on the online roster, but again USF kind of moves slow with that stuff until they're pressed about it. So we'll we'll check later this week to see if he's still on there. Women's basketball got a vote in the, uh, for the the AP top twenty five. They got a, they got a single vote. Um, the only probably AAC, ranked first, in my opinion. Yeah, the, the only AAC, AAC school to receive a vote after UConn's departure. UConn did not receive a vote in the AP top twenty five. I think South Carolina got twenty nine of the thirty first place votes and kind of ran away with it. The Bulls are going to face Baylor and a couple of other good teams this year uh, in non-conference before playing a 20-game conference slate. They start, I believe, the 28th of November. Don't quote me on that, but I'm fairly certain that's what I've heard. Men's basketball starts this month at some point, still finalizing that schedule. I know that they've got their non-conference slate kind of sorted, um, but we're still – waiting on everything to get finalized there. I think that's it from the sports front. Very light, you know, as we get closer to the end of the semester, just because everything else got pushed to spring. Spring is going to be uh, insane. So if, if you're a current USF student and you want to write for the Daily Stampede, hit us up because we're going to need bodies. Can't pay you anything, but exposure. <laughs> Pay, pay you an exposure. Right? We can that, definitely pay, works, right? Yeah, we can definitely pay you an exposure. If you find somewhere, you know, as you write for us and you find somewhere who's willing to pay you, by all means, we will 
make sure we push you out the door. That happened with Will Turner, who now runs Bulls 247. Uh, that happened with Austin DeWitt, who wrote for us for like three weeks and then got an offer from Tomahawk Nation. We made sure you you take the stuff that pays. We're, we're, we're not going to hold you back. I'm still shocked that Seth is with us uh, <laughs> covering USF. I'm shocked that you know, DK Nation or some other site has not picked them off yet. I, I'm expecting that that solemn uh, Slack message, hey, the, hey, Nathan, we need to talk any day now. So we'll see what happens. But again, if you guys feel like writing for us and, and having some fun and you know goofing around, you know, hit us up. Hit us up at Stampede SBN on Twitter. Our email is dailystampede at gmail.com. Uh, send us some samples of your writing skills and a resume, and we'll we'll get going and hopefully have a full-blown out uh, spring sports season of a spring of rings with tennis, golf, soccers. All, all of them. So it'll be fun. That's it. Be safe. Wear a mask. Cases are spiking. It's getting out of control again. Shockingly, flu season and COVID season are running concurrently, and it's making things a little bit dicey. So be safe. Go Bulls. Go Bulls. Go Bulls.